Our text this morning <clears throat> comes from Second Peter chapter 3, verses 15 and 16. Peter wrote this, An account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul also, according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things that are hard to be hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest, as they do also the other scriptures under their own destruction. In the missive I sent out last night, <clears throat> I said, I believe I know when Jesus is coming again. I knew that that would get a rise from some of you because the Scripture says, no man knows neither the day nor the hour when the Son of Man cometh, except the Father. He alone knows that. At least that's what Jesus said at the time He was about to depart. I didn't say I knew the day or the hour. I said I knew when. And uh, that is determined by the study of the Word of God in two major doctrines that we need to understand. The word doctrine is not a, an acceptable word uh, in most churches today. Uh, well, don't talk about doctrine. Well, doctrine simply is the word teaching and the teachings that have been established. And uh, uh, if we look at the two basic doctrines that are required to understand Scripture, we would identify them, first of all, as the angelic conflict. And yet, many churches, most churches, do not address the subject of the angelic conflict in their services. The angelic conflict explains why man is here, why creation occurred, and all that must play out before these heavens and this earth are dissolved and melt with a fervent heat. The angelic conflict explains God's purpose for man and God's plan for man as well. And then the doctrine of dispensations, that is the understanding that God has divided time into various ages or periods of time and that we must understand and relate to His Word within the parameters of that appropriate time to be able to understand. I seriously doubt if any of you today have offered the five burnt offerings. Now, it's before lunch. We might have a burnt offering or two by that time. But the five daily offerings, well... We do not offer them because Christ fulfilled that which they presented. And so we don't do that, even though the Scripture commanded that it be done. There was a time when that ceased, and the reality that Christ had become the fulfillment of everything that it presented. And so... We have to understand the context of Scripture, to whom it was given, and what its objective was, and what its purpose is, and be able to relate to it. Now we still use those Scriptures, and we still talk about the daily offerings. It gives us the opportunity then to show that Christ is the fulfillment of those things. But unless we understand the breakdown of Scripture and the fact that God has appointed various stewards uh, since the beginning of time 
till the end of time, then we can come away with a distorted understanding of what the Scripture was actually saying. As we understand the doctrine of the angelic conflict, and we harmonize that with the doctrine of dispensations, it becomes abundantly clear that God is working out a plan and uh, I believe that plan reveals uh, that when the number of uh, uh, saved believers during the church age from the day of Pentecost in 30 AD till the uh, coming of our Lord for the rapture of the church, I believe that that will coincide when the number of believers during that period of time match the number of fallen angels that sinned against God before he, play, he created man and placed him here. That man was created and placed here to settle that conflict and that appeal on the part of Satan. Now, that being said then, you would only need to know, as I stated in the missive, you only need to know how many fallen angels there are. Well, good luck with that, and I don't believe in luck, because the Bible doesn't reveal to us how many fallen angels, how many angels there were that rebelled against God. It tells us a third of all the angelic hosts cast their lot in with Satan and uh, informed that. So if we knew the total of angelic beings and we took a third, well, we don't know that. Nor do we know how many born-again believers there are since the day of Pentecost in 30 A.D., even to the present hour. We, we cannot know that. But when those two things coincide, Christ will come for the rapture of the church. And uh, that will set in motion then a seven-year plan that has been revealed by God a seven-year period identified as the tribulation, beginning of the day of the Lord. And following that seven years, then there will be the return of Christ back to this earth, bringing those of us who were raptured to set forth the beginning of that seven-year period, bringing us with Him. And uh, there will be then the establishment of the millennial kingdom of a thousand years, and then at the end of the thousand years, Satan released for a short season, having been bound in the bottomless pit during that period of time. He being released will deceive a great multitude that have been born by natural birth in that period of a thousand years and uh, attempt again to overthrow God I read the end of the book. It works out all right. We, uh, God prevails and Satan is cast finally at last into the lake of fire and brimstone. See, the lake of fire and brimstone was prepared for the devil and his angels before the foundation of the earth. But it is not inhabited. There is no soul in that, no spirit in that lake of fire and, uh, that will happen at the second advent when we begin to see people, uh, entities uh, placed in that lake of fire and brimstone and at the end of the thousand years and the burning up of these heavens and this earth, all that will transpire. From our study last time, we concluded that although God is going to destroy these heavens and this earth, He has already made provision for those that are in His sphere of love. That is, for those of us who have accepted Jesus Christ as personal Savior. Because these heavens and this earth are going to be destroyed, a new heaven, actually new heavens, and a new earth will be brought into existence. And because that reality is affirmed in the Word of God, we need to attend 
to some instruction that is given to us in the Word of God. First of all, Peter says, there needs to be an eagerness on our part for the fulfillment of these events. And we get more comfortable in what we know than the unknown. And so, if we're not careful, we become more comfortable in life here without that anticipation and eagerness that we should have concerning the eternal spance and the abiding with Jesus in the new Jerusalem. Not only should we have an eager anticipation for that to be brought about, but we also, while we are here upon the earth, need to operate in the sphere of peace. We saw in our study that we are to have peace with God. We establish peace with God by personal faith in Jesus Christ. When we call upon Christ as our Savior, in that moment we who have been estranged from God by sin are entered into a union with Him wherein we are able to have peace with God. We also saw that we were to have peace from God. He provides a peace for us, and it is the peace of God that keeps us encouraged and motivated and committed to the task of living out the design that He has for us. We saw Peter identify two specifics that we are to be found in. We are to be found spotless, and we are to be found unblemished. Spotless and unblemished. First of all, there should be no birth defect. When we were born physically, we were born with an old nature, a natural tendency to sin. We were born with a human soul, and with a human body, but we did not have a human spirit. We must be born again in order to have that human spirit that we might be able, God is spirit, and those that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. So the spiritual birth gives us a capacity then to understand the things of God, the things of the Spirit, and relate to it. So a new birth is required. And then uh, because uh, we walk not always in perfect harmony with what He has revealed uh, and made available to us, there is the habitual confession of sin by way of 1 John 1, nine. that when we walk contrary to that which God has revealed, we simply as believer priests acknowledge that to Him. And so those two are to guide us in our walk here upon the earth. We are to be born again and then we are to maintain fellowship with Him through the habitual, repetitious confession of sin. I say repetitious because we find that we have all have an area of weakness and it is in that area that we habitually go against the direction of God, and for that, that we confess repeatedly to Him, hoping then that that becomes the motivation for us to deal with sin while it's in the area of temptation, not waiting till after we have sinned and simply confess it, but the confession of sin motivates us to recognize where our weakness is and stay out of that neighborhood. Recognize the temptation as it is building and avoid it. Now in verses 15 and 16 of this third chapter of Peter's epistle, he explains that this lapse in time from the ascension of Jesus into heaven until His return to the earth, 
identified by Peter as the long-suffering of God, is in order to provide salvation for whosoever will. God's objective is for all in His foreknowledge who desire to be saved to be saved. And so He has stretched out this period of time from the sacrifice, the resurrection, and the ascension of our Lord to the present hour with the promise He is coming again, but He is waiting for those who will accept Him to accept Him. Peter addresses that in verse 15 when he says, An account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our blessed brother Paul, also according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written to you. Peter said, I'm not the only one with this message. Our, Our brother Paul, in the wisdom that has been given to him, has written these things to you. He said, an account that the long-suffering of the Lord is salvation. That word uh, translated account means keep on considering it. We are to remind ourselves and to review that concept uh, that it is the long-suffering of God that holds back right now the second advent or the, rather the rapture of the church, in order that we might be taken up to be with Him. We must keep on considering the plan of God and understanding the plan of God in order that we not become impatient or even embittered and that we fall away from the walk that He has called us to perform in our daily dealings in life. So keep on considering the long-suffering of God. Now the long-suffering of God, that word long-suffering is translated from a long Greek word, makrothumia, and it means to be long-tempered. Now, it means not to have a short fuse. To be able to to be under uh, self-restraint uh, that's a quality that we are able to develop uh, with the, uh, the study of the Word of God and the application of the Word of God. Makrathumia means to, to have that quality of self-restraint in the face of provocation that does not quickly retaliate or does not promptly punish and it does not Surrender to circumstance. God has that quality that does not immediately retaliate for that we need to give thanks in our daily walk of life to understand that He has self-restraint and is dealing with those of us who frequently in rebellion walk contrary to that which He has designed for us, and uh, He, in His self-restraint, holds back because of His love for us. The long-suffering of our Lord. The word Lord is a reference to the deity aspect of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Lord refers to His deity. Jesus refers to His humanity. And Christ refers to His role as the Messiah, as the sent one of God. And the reason God is biding His time and showing restraint is for salvation. So Tyrion identifies a deliverance that we might have deliverance not only from the uh, penalty of sin, but also from the power of sin, and ultimately from the very presence 
of sin. Peter said, I have given you this information, but I want to document it now that I'm not the only one with this message. He says, even as indeed our beloved brother Paul. He's referring here to the Apostle Paul, known earlier in his life by the name Saul. And uh, it's not that God changed his name because of a change of character. Uh, the word Saul is the Hebrew word for the Greek word Paul. So the uh, we, we find through the early apostles that most of them retained their Jewish name. Most of them were involved in Jewish ministry, ministering to the house of Israel to whom the gospel message had originally been given and through whom it is now fulfilled. And so Peter's primary ministry uh, was related uh, uh, to and among the Jews, uh, but Paul was called to a different mission. Paul was identified by our uh, Lord God Himself as the Apostle to the Gentiles. The word Gentiles comes from the Greek word ethnos, from which we get the word ethnics. A Gentile is anyone other than racially, other than a Jew racially. The other ethnics, other than the Jews. And Paul, uh, God, God's marvelous and wondrous way to work is emphasized in his calling and appointing Paul to be the Gentile to the Jews, uh, or to the, uh, to be the apostle to the Gentiles, there is uh, among the Bible characters uh, few that would be better qualified than the apostle Paul to go to the Jews and explain uh, all the Jewish tradition and all the Levitical law and all the ordinances to explain that as being fulfilled in the person and the character and the work of Jesus Christ but God did not choose the best qualified. He took the best qualified to be a Jewish evangelist and turned him into a Gentile evangelist and used a common fisherman who had not been brought up in the schools of theology to be the primary uh, missionary then, if you will, to the Jews, speaking of Peter. And so their missions... Uh, were the same, but their appointments were to different groups. And uh, uh, Peter wants to affirm the ministry of the Apostle Paul. He identifies him as our beloved brother. Beloved uh, identifies uh, an individual that is loved self-sacrificially. And he identifies Paul as being loved self-sacrificially by the Lord Himself. And uh, he carries that same spirit of love for Paul as he addresses some references that Paul has given in order that we might have some documentation to what Peter is teaching. Paul wrote more about these things that are leading up to the destruction of the heavens and the earth than did Peter. Peter's address was primarily, I say, to the Jews. And so uh, the the church age doctrines, uh, uh, while he uh, makes reference to them, uh, he did not have the knowledge revealed to him that was revealed to the Apostle Paul. Notice he said to our beloved brother Paul, also according to the wisdom given unto him. The word wisdom is that word sophos 
that identifies for us the understanding of how to apply knowledge to experience. There are two primary Greek words that are used for wisdom. Sophos means the ability to understand how the facts, how knowledge relates to one's circumstance or experience. Fortion means the automatic reflexive response of that knowledge so that you perform it and do it. God has told us through the pen of the Apostle James, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. That's not fortion. That takes your personal application. It is sophos. It is the ability to understand how the facts, how the knowledge relates to experience. And that has been given, that ability to understand how to relate it has been given unto Paul and he has written it unto you, Peter says. Hath written is, he wrote in various periods or points of time unto you. And then Peter continues in that same vein in the next verse as he says, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, these things that I am talking to you about. Also in all of his epistles. The word epistle is a fancy word for a letter that he has written in letters to the churches and letters to individuals, that which God has revealed to him. Speaking in them of these things, Peter says, making it a matter of principle that in the sphere of that that has been revealed to him, he has spoken of that which I am talking to you about as well. Peter says, these heavens and this earth are going to dissolve and melt with the fervent heat, and the new heavens and the new earth is going to be brought about. Paul has written to you in various points of times about these things. And then Peter adds this note. In which are some things that are hard to understand. We recognize that as we handle the Word of God, there are some things that are hard to understand. Peter seemed to uh, indicate a problem with having to deal with some of the things that Peter had written. He had not himself received direct revelation about that. But notice he didn't say they were impossible to understand. He said there are some things that are hard to be understood And then he adds, uh, which they that are unlearned, they that are unlearned and unstable rest. The unlearned. The word that is used here by Peter for the unlearned is the word disciple in the Greek. Mathenes. But it has affixed to it the Greek letter alpha, the first letter of the Greek alphabet. When you put that letter in front of a word, it gives that word the opposite meaning. So he's chosen to use the word disciple, which simply means student. And uh, he affixes uh, the negative to it those that are not disciples. In addition to Bible doctrine, there are two doctrines that I mentioned this morning 
that are essential to our being able to understand the writings of both Peter and our Lord uh, and to be able to interpret and relate to them properly the angelic conflict and the doctrine of dispensations. God in the angelic conflict explains why He created us and what our role is. And in the doctrine of dispensation, He breaks down time into specific periods of time so that we're able to follow the plan of God and see the fulfillment of it as it goes along. From the creation of Adam and Eve and placing them in the Garden of Eden, He made them the administrators of that first dispensational period, that first period of administration that began with their creation and ended with their eating of the forbidden fruit. It was a state of innocence in which they abode. But when they ate of the forbidden fruit, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the conscience of man was activated and we moved from a state of innocence into an age of conscience. And uh, we find during that period of time that men did that which was right in their own eyes. And uh, there was nothing uh, in the way of law to guide them and to direct them, though uh, it's apparent that the Lord gave uh, uh, instruction from time to time. And certainly uh, with uh, the sacrificial system, uh, that he inaugurated to clothe Adam and Eve, and then that we find Cain and Abel resting uh, with uh, uh, a little later, and we find during uh, that period of time uh, sacrifices being made. There was an understanding about the provision that God would make, but it was limited. And then uh, uh, that period of time uh, was wiped out by the flood as the angelic infiltration, part of that angelic plan uh, of rebellion against God was to uh, infiltrate human life with angelic life. And that infiltration uh, would be complete, Jesus or God said, it would be complete in 120 years if He didn't do something about it. And so at a 100 years out, 20 years short of ultimate angelic completion, he cut them off and saved one family that was the only family that was pure in their genealogy without any infiltration, Noah and his wife and their three sons and their wives, and reestablished life upon earth again. We find then that there was a period that God called out men like Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and a period of patriarchs in which He revealed Himself to them. And then there came the time for the law, or the calling out of Moses and the establishment of the law, and then the selection of a particular family, a particular race of people to be the administrators of God uh, under the Jewish administration. And God worked through the periods uh, of history in that uh, pattern to identify administrators. In our present time, the church is the administrators. Those of you and I who make up the body of Christ, who have received Christ as Savior, we are the administrators And when our administration is finished, then He will come and take us. And the Jews, they were cut short seven years when we were put in. And so they have a final seven years that they are going to administer uh, the things of God. And then Christ Himself will come and administer the things of God here upon the earth. These This breakdown of time, these dispensational ages help us understand where we are in the plan of God and in the 
the church dispensational period that began on the day of Pentecost in 30 AD, we are now in the final period of that as God revealed through seven distinct periods in which the church would change. And now we are in what's called the Laodicean uh, period or of the church age and we are seeing these things play out. If we don't understand that, if we haven't been discipled in those things, then we will not properly understand Scripture. And Peter said, those that have not been discipled, they are unstabilized, and they rest, they torture by twisting the Scriptures. The things that Paul wrote as well as others. Remember, Peter began this by warning about false teachers. The false teachers have become masters of the art of twisting the epistles of Paul. The epistles that he wrote have become the focus of some uh, and to be the basis of the interpretation of the Old Testament. And so many of them reject the other epistles. Even Martin Luther rejected the authenticity of the book of James. He said the book of James ought not to be in the Bible because he didn't understand the plan that God had developed and understand this area as it related to grace and faith. He did not understand when when James said, faith without works is dead, Martin Luther said, no, salvation is by works, uh, by faith alone, grace alone, Christ alone. And so, uh, James must be wrong when he said that faith without works was dead. Martin Luther studied some Greek. As a matter of fact, of course, he grew up with Latin and his theological training was Latin. But in his study of the Greek, he came to realize the doctrine of grace. And in that realization, he led the revolt against the false teaching that was in the established church at that time. But he didn't get enough Greek to understand when James said faith without works is dead. What James actually said was faith that is in an object that does not perform the work is dead. See, our faith in Jesus Christ is based in the object that performed the work. We don't do the work. He did the work. We were incapable of doing the work, but He did the work for us. And so, if we've not been discipled properly and we don't understand those things, then there is a tendency to twist or to distort the Scriptures. He said not only what Paul has written, but these false teachers uh, twist and, and torture other Scriptures under their own destruction. The word destruction doesn't mean to be annihilated. It means loss of well being. Their loss of well-being. One of the doctrines reformed teachers have twisted uh, which destroys their well-being is uh, this doctrine of predestination. Many of them live in fear all their lives that they are not among what they have determined are the chosen of God. They're concept that God chooses individuals apart from their free will does not provide a stable platform for them to have confidence and faith except the arrogant ones. Now the arrogant ones believe, yeah, I'm all right. It's okay with me. I'm not sure about you, but it's fine with me. But there is much loss of peace in that process. I um, 
a number of years ago while we had the Bible uh, college going and there was a sudden uh, revival explosion of this view of predestination and and of the doctrine uh, that we do not have choice that God selects us apart from our free will and uh, if we wanted to be saved we couldn't if we weren't among the chosen uh, a few years ago there was a number of conversions to that uh, I should say diversions uh, to that theology uh, John MacArthur was one of those who had had through the years said that he struggled with uh, the sovereignty of God and the free will of man, but he abandoned that free will of man position and uh, uh, agreed uh, with the theology of the Reformed uh, that we are chosen or not chosen solely at the uh, will of God the Father. And uh, uh, so there was just an explosion because of his popularity and 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 uh, writings. Uh, there there was a expanded movement of that in our uh, communities. And I, as uh, the president of a Bible college, was receiving calls uh, one after the other, uh, wanting to know uh, what my position was and and how uh, what the Bible really said about this, and so I did a series uh, on the radio uh, at that time with our our radio ministry. We had a 17-year uh, radio ministry there in uh, Oxnard uh, at that time, and and we dealt with that issue. Uh, at that time, there were. Uh, I received a telephone call then from a lady who was crying and in distress. She had cancer. She didn't have long to live. She didn't know if she was among the chosen or the rejected. She was about to die. It could be to spend an eternity in a devil's hell. She had accepted Christ as Savior, but... That did no good if she were not among the chosen. And so I talked with her a while. My wife talked with her uh, further uh, first. And then uh, I talked with her. And uh, she uh, was rejoicing in the Scriptures we were able to share with her that she was among the chosen because those that are chosen are those that are in Christ. And the invitation to be in Christ is to whosoever will. And so she died rejoicing that she was going into the presence of the Lord. These verses, 15 and 16, should read this way. Consider the long temper of our Lord salvation. Even as indeed our beloved brother Paul, according to the norms and standards of the wisdom given him as a matter of principle, wrote in various points of time to you, as also in the sphere of all his epistles, speaking as a matter of principle in the sphere of them concerning these things which keep on being some things hard to be understood which the unlearned and the unstabilized torture by twisting as also the remaining scriptures to their own loss of well-building, of well-being. God's purpose in His long temper is to provide salvation for all who will accept it. Consider the long temper of the Lord, salvation. God has a plan for man that predates the creation of man. In His own omniscience, God has knowledge of all things, past, present, and future. There's nothing that happens by chance. Everything happens as a result of cause and effect. The destruction of the heavens and the earth are on a schedule 
that God has established. God will not react to the circumstances one day and say, well, that's it. I've had enough. It's time to go back and send the Son back to release the judgments that Peter's described. That day has been set in eternity past and He has revealed certain aspects of it to us that were necessary for us to know. He has a calendar that provides for everyone who desires to be saved, to be saved, and has not revealed that day to us, but has given us some signs and assurance concerning that day. At some point, already established in the foreknowledge of God, that day will come and these things will occur. We saw in our study back in the first chapter, verses 19 through 21, we have a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto you do well that you take heed as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Peter tells us that the Apostle Paul validates this in his epistle on the basis of the knowledge that was given to him. Even as our beloved brother Paul according to the norm and standard of the wisdom given him as a matter of principle unto you, wrote in various points of time. Peter understood that Paul had been appointed by God to be the apostle to the Gentiles. Here in his second epistle, Peter refers to Paul's commentary on these future events. Peter issues a few clear statements about the destruction of the present heaven and the present earth. But Paul goes into greater detail concerning the events that lead up to those events. Peter's ministry, as I said, was primarily as a witness to the Jews and the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies, while Paul's role as the apostle to the Gentiles put him in a position to receive information concerning the doctrines of the church age and the revelations concerning specific prophecies that are related to the church. Peter said some of those things that Paul wrote are hard to understand. The things Paul has written are hard to understand by those who are unlearned, by those who have not been properly taught. To understand what Paul wrote requires an understanding of the angelic conflict and the doctrine of dispensations. We stated that the angelic conflict explains our origin and why we are here and what our purpose is to be. And then dispensational theology shows us how to apply the word in various periods of time. The prophets of the Old Testament served during the Jewish administration, they had little understanding, if any at all, concerning the two advents of Christ. When you read the book of Isaiah, it can be a little confusing because Isaiah receives information about the first advent of Christ and about the second advent of Christ, but he doesn't see the division with the church in between. And so, We need to have that understanding. Paul fills in the gaps by adding uh, the missing information as he receives revelation from the Holy Spirit in order to provide that to the church. And this lack of understanding was manifested by the false prophets and the false teachers. Peter's epistle to the Galatians highlights this lack of understanding and perversion of the truth 
by the Judaizers, that is, Jews that had accepted Christ as Messiah, but they demanded that the Christians go back and embrace all the law and all the ritual of Judaism. These men tortured Paul's epistles by twisting them just as they do all Scripture. This twisting then results in their own loss of well-being. Peter tells us, the false prophets and the false teachers' lack of understanding and lack of stability result in their loss of peace. And so in addressing this same issue with the believers at Galatia, Paul says, O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? Having become then citizens of the kingdom of God as believers in the church age, we are foreigners living alongside the citizens of this world in order to do our king's business. As we wait for these things to play out, we are to operate in the sphere of peace, maintaining spotlessness and being enabled to do that through our spiritual birth, our faith in Jesus Christ. It all begins at salvation. The Bible says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The Bible says, With the heart man believes unto righteousness, but with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Peace with God provides the peace of God and the peace of God provides peace from God so that we can live from day to day with a sense of tranquility and peace knowing He has a plan. He has set forth a schedule for that We are asked to be involved in the plan. And so let us in these things be found faithful.